0: Good morning. Today's reading is from the first chapter of Ephesians, the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. morning.
1: It's been a long time. I want to say thank you to Ray and to... um, Sandy and to the kids and to Ron, who's not here, um, for filling in, giving me a break, um, was kind of nice. Um, although I have to say, it was kind of like, oh, I got to do one this week. <laughs> so here we are. Um, so good morning and welcome back, or welcome me back. Thanks. All right. So I brought an apple today. Kind of ordinary, right? Apples. Everybody like apples? Anybody not like apples? Apples are wonderful, right? Well, when I went to the store, I picked this apple specially. I picked it because I like to do something special with this kind of apple. This is the kind of apple I like to make pies and apple crisp with. They make the best because my pies are very sweet, but these apples are nice and tart. So I picked this apple specially so I could make pie. I also picked this apple, kind of like the shape of it, kind of odd shaped, but I like it. I think I'm going to eat this one because this is just a good eating apple. And I bought this one because this is the kind of apple I put in my coleslaw. I this. When I make my apples, my coleslaw that I bring, it has apples in it. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But you match stick it really fine and put it in there. So that makes some really good coleslaw. And then I brought this apple. I'm going to make applesauce with this one. Because it's not big enough to do much else with. And it's been around a little while. But it's a great apple for applesauce. So it's all good. They all have a purpose. Every one of my apples has a purpose. And that's kind of like us. Each one of us has been specially chosen by God for a special purpose. Did you know that? We may not know what our purpose is yet. We may still be trying to figure it out. And maybe at one point our purpose is to do one thing, but later in life it might be to do something else. And it might be something else down the road. But our purpose in life is to do what God has planned for us. Because before we were even born, or even thought about, he already had a plan for us. And he knew that we were going to do this at this point, and this at another point, and this at another point in our lives. And he had it all planned out. And the good thing is, he's given us everything we need to do all those things that he's planned for us. Pretty awesome. Now, these apples can't do their thing on their own. This apple can't make itself into a pie. It needs some help. And just this apple, even if I help it by peeling it and cutting it and all that, it doesn't have enough to just be a pie that way. It needs some other things added in. It needs a crust. It needs some spices. It needs a little dab of butter and a little bit of lemon peel just to make a pie. So we don't have to do it ourselves either. Just because God has a purpose for you doesn't mean that you have to do it all by yourself. We have other people that can help us. We have the Holy Spirit that can help us. This apple being applesauce, it's going to go through a lot. It's going to get smushed. It's going to get cooked. But it's going to be delicious when it's done. It may not look like much now, But it's got a purpose. And sometimes God has to kind of shape us a little and carve us a little and add us with some other things. But he's got a purpose, and it's a good thing. He wants us to invite everyone to be adopted into his family, chosen. They've already been chosen, just like us. And then our other purpose is to praise, just like we were talking about in the Psalms. Praising, that's what it's all about. We can praise God because he's already got it figured out. We just have to give ourselves to him and let him use us to be a pie, to be coleslaw, to be applesauce, or just to be eaten. But he's got it all planned out. So let's just trust him and praise him and know that he's got it in his hands. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us. You've chosen us for something special, something that you are going to give us the tools that we need to do, the guidance and the courage to do it, and the spirit to lead us. So help us to trust you, to put ourselves in your hands and know that you have everything all ready for us, and it's all going to be awesome. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the spirit, and we thank you for each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Okay, let's pray before we dig in. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you again for what you have for us and um, the kind of people that you are longing to make us into. Thank you for what we're going to find out about that in our passage today and as we walk through the book of Ephesians together. I pray that you will give us all clear hearts and minds Um, that nothing will stand in the way of receiving the riches that you want to lavish on us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting a new sermon series, as I think you know. Um, We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians together. Ephesians is one of those letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And um, we're calling this series, the family you're a part of, because in the book of Ephesians, Paul really spends a lot of time kind of unpacking what the people of God as a community are supposed to look like, how they're supposed to interact with each other, and how they're supposed to interact with the world. Um, And so I was kind of thinking of, you know, what sometimes you hear, remember the family you're a part of. Have you ever heard that before? Okay. Does that feel good or bad that reminder <laughs> what It depends on who's saying it. It depends on what you're doing, okay <laughs> what What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Behave yourself, Behave yourself. basically, yeah why how, what does the family have to do with it? Okay, right. so you reflect on the family what? What we do, if other people, uh, this maybe is less true now, but I think at least in previous times, what you do is really associated with what your fami- who your family is. So it's a reflection. It's, well, if this person's like this, then the whole family must be like this other thing. And so sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be bad. Some families have, families can be really complicated, right? Some families have secrets. And so they might say, remember the family you're a part of, because they don't want you acting in a way that reveals the family secrets. Um, That's an example. This week, I'm teaching my pilgrimage class, stepping into the story, and this week was the week that we look at our families, and that's always a hard week for people, because most of us have something complicated and difficult and, and maybe worse, in our family of origin. And we, you know, we look at those things and we bring them to light, and um, it's usually a really good class session, but it's really hard. And somebody actually in the class said, I've always been told, remember the family you're a part of. And I had already written the sermon, and I was like, oh. <laughs> the, this is a thing. And that was not a good phrase for this person. Um, but. So I want to acknowledge that at the outset. Families are complicated, and in our broken, sin-filled families, we can, we, some of us have been abused um, emotionally, physically, in other ways, and so sometimes remembering the family you're a part of is not really that great. But I do feel like that's kind of the theme for the book of Ephesians, and I hope as we look at chapter 1, the first part of chapter 1 today, you'll see that, it's actu- that the Apostle Paul doesn't see that as a bad thing. He's not saying he, he wants to talk about our behavior. He's going to do that later on in the book. But he's saying, remember the family you're a part of because it's great. It's not like your other families. It's God's family, and God loves you, and God chose you, and this is going to be awesome. So this week, um, I think most of us know that somebody in David Bertrand's family died suddenly, and we had a funeral. Um, and I I didn't know Debbie LaVallee, and so I had to talk to her immediate family to find out a little bit more about her so I could present an appropriate uh, service for her at the funeral home. And one thing that they they talked a lot about Debbie herself, but they also talked about her grandmother, who's David's mother. Um, David's mother, you've heard David talk about his mother, right? He loves his mother. She was, by all accounts, a very godly woman. And um, these family members were saying, she was the one that taught us all our family values. She started the family Christmas party. We would always sing, Let the Circle Be Unbroken. They wanted to continue these traditions, even though she's no longer living in this life, they want to continue those traditions because they love her and they want to honor her memory. So this Christmas party still happens and they still sing the song and maybe not all of them have the same type of relationship with Jesus that she had, but they still see her as this key, they're proud to be in her family, They identify as being part of her family. And that is kind of what I feel like Paul, that's the kind of dynamic that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across in the book of Ephesians. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. It's a young church. All the churches at this time are pretty young. Um, And Timothy, who you might have heard of, is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But Paul planted the church. He started the church. And he stayed there for three years to kind of get it established and get it stable um, and make sure that it was secure in its identity as part of God's family. And then he turned the leadership over to Timothy. You can tell that Paul really cared about this church a lot because not only did he stay there for three years, but they get a letter. Timothy, their pastor, gets two letters. And there are stories about this church and about what happens to this church in the book of Acts that was written by Luke. Paul, in this letter, is encouraging followers of Jesus Christ to remember Jesus Christ, to live their whole lives in remembrance of him. We talk about communion, and we say we do this in remembrance of Jesus. This is not the only thing that, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to do in remembrance of Jesus. We're supposed to do everything in remembrance of Jesus. Kind of like the way the Bertrand extended family remember Mrs. Bertrand, but even more so. They are to remember that not only are they part of the family, they're part of God's family, not only are there ways that they should behave because they're part of the family, but they actually have the power to act like God's family because they are in the family, in Christ. So this isn't a kind of like, we've got to keep the family secrets, remember what family you're a part of. This is, remember the family you're a part of. You actually have the resources to live like, to live the family resemblance of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do this on your own. You have the resources. I want to, besides acknowledging that our human families are complicated, I also want to acknowledge the, the Apostle Paul is a little complicated. <laughs> um, he, we've preached on some of his letters before. He can be cranky, or I'll at least come across that way. Um, he's not very popular in a lot of places these days, mostly because there are some passages in most of his books where he talks about women and he talks about slavery. In ways that sound like he's a misogynist and a racist. I just want to, <coughs> uh, and we're actually going to face a couple of those in this book. So I want to say this at the beginning. Um, remember last week when we talked about incorporating media into the church, and I said we can either let the perspectives of the world influence how we read Scripture, or we can let our reading of Scripture influence how we interact with the world. I feel like <clears throat> what has happened in history is, this is a brief version, but I feel like this is important <coughs> excuse me, to talk about. Um, because the broken, sinful world has had, for, since the beginning, since sin entered the world, has had um, this kind of idea that men are better and women are not in the image of God, or there's some kind of hierarchy, and because there has always been a tendency to us-them and have racism and to subjugate other people, which is not biblical either, um, those worldly sinful thought patterns and understandings and cultures have influenced how many, 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 many people, including godly people who read the scripture, have interpreted scripture throughout history. And I think this has happened a lot in reading Paul's letters. If we take a really deep study of the context and the history of the time and people Paul is writing to, we may see that some previous interpretations of what Paul said, it's not that Paul got it wrong, it's that people didn't quite interpret it fully. and I'm not saying this because I think I figured it out myself, nobody else before me, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is something that the Holy Spirit has been revealing to people who spend a lot of time studying the Bible over time, and, and to me too, but it's not just me, I'm not just like deciding that I have the only right interpretation of Scripture. Um, so I, I want to point out that I don't think Everything that we've been taught about what Paul says is actually what Paul was saying. But also, if not liking Paul is where you're at right now, that's okay. I've been there. Um, I'm not talking about my husband, Paul. You, if you don't like him, you've got to work that out with him. Uh, <laughs> but I like him. Um, I did not used to like the Apostle Paul. I pretty much always liked this guy. Um, <coughs> so... If you don't like him, please bear with me, bear with us as we dig into this book. Try to suspend your animosity to listen, maybe forget that the Apostle Paul wrote this, even though I'm probably going to be pointing that out. Um, (laughs) Because there are things that he's saying that I hope we'll be able to bring to light in this series that are really important and will help us be able to better read between the lines in the parts that are harder to understand or maybe a little harder to take. Um, One of the things that helped me get over my dislike of the Apostle Paul is that I have discovered that he and I have some things in common, temperament-wise. Actually, at the beginning of this letter, he he introduces himself, which is funny because Ephesians already knew who he was, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I'm not going to say I'm an apostle. We could debate that term. But Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He didn't decide to do this. He didn't even believe in Jesus at first. God had to come right in front of him, knock him off his horse, and turn him around. The will of God was that the apostle Paul become the apostle Paul. I also did not used to believe that women could be pastors, and... I had an encounter with God that I didn't fortunately fall off anything, but, um, <laughs> but I had an encounter with God where God wasn't going to, there wasn't anybody else, any human that was going to get through to me on this issue. And God said, stop hiding behind a couple passages you don't understand and look at the whole testimony of scripture. I'm a pastor here by the will of God. Even after I became more convinced that, it, that women could be leaders in churches, um, I still didn't think that was going to be me. And up until the point that I actually applied <laughs> to work here. Um, and you voted for me to be your pastor. So it's the will of God. Paul's saying, I didn't, I didn't choose this. I'm saying, I didn't choose this. Hopefully, though, God is expressing himself through both of us. Um, Also, something else that Paul and I had in common, Apostle Paul and I had in common, we're both wordy. (laughs) Um, And we both really like run-on sentences. You guys know what a run-on sentence is? Yeah, okay. So I think because Paul really likes run-on sentences, this is one of the reasons why he's hard to understand. might be why I'm hard to understand, too. Also, maybe why people for centuries have assumed he's saying things that he wasn't. The Bible is the inspired word of God. We've talked about that a lot recently. But it is not always clear. People like to go around saying the Bible is clear that 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 is almost never true. We need the Holy Spirit to understand what this book is saying. Otherwise, we just have our own ideas. And we might be really smart, but we're not going to get what God is trying to say to us if the Holy Spirit isn't speaking to us through this book. So the Bible clearly says is almost never true, and it's especially really not true when it comes to the writings of the Apostle Paul because he likes run-on sentences. Also, in Greek, which is the language that he wrote in, Punctuation works differently, and you, it's not always clear like which groups of ascent, which words go together. And so um, here's an example. In verses four and five, the translation that Tom read says, "For he chose us, God chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight." Period. In love, He predestined us." But there are other translations. Let's say, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love, period. He predestined us. So then it's like, you look, just look at that little part. Holy and blameless in his loving sight, or holy and blamelessly loving in his sight, or he predestined us lovingly, or yes. <laughs> like, um, there's all kinds of little shades of different meaning that you can get depending on where you put the period, and the reason is because in this passage, verse 3 all the way through verse 14 is one sentence. <laughs> Barbara, your face was priceless. <laughs> yeah, you thought I liked run-on sentences. I got nothing on this guy. There is a church, apparently, I just found this online, there's a church in Cornerstone, called Cornerstone Church in North Carolina, and they say in Ephesians 1, 3-14, Paul gives us a single sentence that comes in at a surprising length of 257 words, almost exactly the length of the entire Gettysburg Address. Of course, it is not merely the literary flair of the sentence that strikes us, it is the way he takes the basic thought of God has blessed us, verse 3, and explores it from the widest angle possible. So here's what I'm going to do. They p- also posted a, their English Standard Version translation, but they took all the sentence markers out. Close your eyes. I'm going to read this. Just let it wash over you. Um, I'm going to try to read it. I'm not going to read it in one breath. I don't think I can do that. But I'm going to try to read it in one, as one sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, having predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace,
0: Right?
2: Yeah, I forget if Ephesians is a prison epistle or not. Right. So, um, who wants to tell me what that means? <laughs> right. Okay. So, how about this? What stood out to you. Did any words or phrases or anything stand out to you as I was reading that? Okay. We've been given an entirely different life. It is like that. Sandy says it's like a little kid who's just so excited about something and they just keep trying to explain and explain and, and tell you about it. And there's too much going on in here to come out here and you just have to like spill it all out. I think this is exactly right. I wrote it in my notes. You can tell that Apostle Paul is super excited. <laughs> um, here's the boiled down version of what I think he's saying. God has blessed us. Praise him. That's the boiled down version. And that could just be the sermon. I mean, we still have communion. But I want to unpack this a little bit more because I think this gigantic sentence is the key to understanding the rest of the letter to the Ephesians. Here are a few true things that he expresses in this letter, in this first part of the letter. In the intro, where he introduces himself and says who the letter's to, we see that Paul knows who he is. He is Paul, and he is an apostle by the will of God. He's not being arrogant. He's just, he knows what his job is. He knows who he is. He knows what he needs to do. He also knows who this little church is. It's interesting, probably if you look in your Bible, there, well, maybe not the Pew Bibles, I don't know, but you might see a note where it says to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus isn't in all the copies of this letter that we have because even though he's writing it originally to this church in Ephesus he intends for this letter to go to a whole bunch of churches it applies to all of them as well and so it also apply it that means it applies to all followers of Jesus including these ones right here so he knows who the church in Ephesus is, but also in a general way, because we're all part of the family of God, he knows knows who Central Baptist Church is. He knows who all of these churches are. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just some nice words. He is blessing them, blessing us, blessing the readers of this letter. Abundance and well-being grace and peace, our abundance and well-being from the triune God, God's self, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit is implied because the spirit is living in Jesus' followers, and he's going to talk about the spirit at the end of this section. This is a real blessing being spoken over the church in Jesus' name because through the life death and resurrection of Jesus, which we're about to celebrate, we are Jesus' family. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he's about to tell us. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our status as being members of God's family is secure. This is the grace that we just mentioned, the abundance, every spiritual blessing, not just get out of hell free. The gospel <coughs> is not just, as some people used to call it, fire insurance. It is every spiritual blessing. If you are part of this family, you take after the family and you receive the inheritance of the family, and a lot of people will try, and churches, will, tr- because we want this, will try to make this into we'll be healthy and wealthy in our material lives now. And that is not what Paul's talking about, but he is saying we have all, this, all the spiritual resources that we need, that we could possibly need as followers of Jesus Christ to follow Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit. And it's true in the heavenly realms that doesn't mean we can only access these blessings once we get to heaven but it means that in the heavenly realms where god's will is done unlike here our status is true so no matter what nonsense is going on in this life we still have we are still secure in the heavenly realms with jesus christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. There's a lot in this passage about predestination. Chose is a lighter version of that. Um, and predestination is a huge topic that nobody has fully figured out, the balance between predestination and free will, and I'm not going to figure it out. But what it means here if whatever else it means or doesn't mean, it should indicate when we read this, he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world, it should indicate to us that we were wanted. There are a lot of families where children have not been wanted, and sometimes they've been told that they were not wanted. God wants us. In his family, he wants us as a community, and he wants us as individuals. He is a loving father, no matter what our human fathers are like. He loves us, and he wants us. And it's interesting, he chose us in Jesus, before the creation of the world, not to go to heaven. That's not what this predestination is about, in this case anyway. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In God's sight could mean two things. It probably means both things. God sees us as holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is genuinely holy and blameless, and his holiness and his blamelessness gets put on us when we become part of God's family. While we wait for our lives to catch up. (laughs) Um, but God also sees what is true about us. Because of Jesus, holy and blam- holiness and blamelessness on us, we can actually become in ourselves, by His grace, holy and blameless. Actually, really, truly holy and blameless, in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure and His pleasure and will. Quick note on this term, sonship. Sonship is a legal term in Roman in the Roman Empire for inheritance. And that is why in most translations of the Bible, even though, even the ones that try to use more inclusive language, they often will keep this term sonship, because what the Apostle Paul is saying is everybody in the family of God, male or female, any anybody in the family of God is has the same legal status before God than an ad- that an adopted Roman young man would have if he was adopted into a, like, a Roman nobles family. So, if for example, if, say, Caesar decided to adopt some kid, it would be a boy. And that boy would receive all the inheritance possible for, from Caesar, but nobody else, a girl, couldn't do that. Well, here... Paul is saying this sonship that the Roman citizens could expect, that Roman male citizens could expect, everybody in God's family can expect this level of inheritance and status before God. Every person who belongs to Jesus is equally part of the family and receives this inheritance of holiness, blamelessness, and the glory of God. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace. All this happens to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. He's circling back. Jesus is the one God loves, the Father loves. His grace is bestowed freely, generously, prodigally, because we remember that word means lavishly, and continually on us. This grace is constantly being poured out on us. It's not being held back. God is not stingy. The grace that we receive, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that we receive, is this. In him we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And then, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. Back in the Garden of Eden, a serpent tricked two people into getting knowledge of good and evil quick. Eat a piece of fruit, and you'll get it. God wanted us to have the knowledge of good and evil, but on his terms, with all wisdom and understanding. So in Jesus, we receive knowledge of the mystery of God's will, according to God's good pleasure, not according to, our need for instant gratification, or to a serpent's need to dismantle God's plans, according to God's good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it, Jesus told us to pray it, and as we pray it, God lets us know what his will is, starting with what he did through Jesus Christ and continuing in us as we start to take on more and more of the family resemblance and the family inheritance. You know, when sometimes people join together in a family and they don't, they don't start out looking like each other, but after a while they really kind of look like each other or they have the same mannerisms or whatever. This is kind of the thing that happens to us as we get adopted into God's family. The more time we spend with God, the more we're going to start to look like Jesus. God's will is to bring, as Paul says in this chapter, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The gospel, the good news, we've said this here for years, a million times, is reconciliation. Unity in all things under Christ. It all centers around Jesus Christ. In him we were also chosen, now the Apostle Paul is talking about himself and the first first Apostles, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Actually, maybe this isn't the part where he's talking about just himself. Anyway, everything in conformity with his will does not mean that everything that happens in this life is according to God's best will. God's not a micromanager, God will not um, just make every little thing happen. He does allow us free will. But God can and will redeem everything, everything that happens, the horrible things that happen. God can and will eventually redeem those things to line up with his will. He wants us to do his will. But where his will is not accomplished, he can still redeem it We know this because he did it in the crucifixion of his own son. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, this is where he's talking about himself, might be for the praise of his glory. The first generation of believers are not just holy and blameless, but are becoming so in God's sight and also in human sight, so that God's glory, which we know is God's love, can be praised because people see God in these first apostles, and now this is the goal for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus, after these first apostles, who have heard their testimony, who have read their testimony in books like Ephesians. He says, and you also, not just me and the other apostles, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. <clears throat> it is all grace, and it is all for glory. The forgiveness of our sins, unity in Christ, every blessing in the heavenly places, that is all grace. We don't earn any of that. We can't earn any of that. But when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who worked out that grace for us, the Holy Spirit enters our spirits. The Spirit is the sign that we are part of the family. The Spirit is the one who transforms us to look like part of the family. The Spirit is the one who, over time, helps us to be able to discern, this is God's voice, this is my voice, this is some other voice I don't need to listen to at all. The Spirit is the one who makes us holy and blameless, for real. Everything that we are going to learn and encounter in the rest of the book of Ephesians needs to come back to this. God has blessed us with his Spirit. Let's praise him. And the best way to praise his glory is to let the Holy Spirit take charge of our transformation, to say, okay, God, I am willing to be changed. I'm willing to become somebody new. Then we will be holy and blameless and we will become holy and blameless through and through all because of God's grace. And then we will have the power, not in ourselves, but from the grace of the Holy Spirit to live out the instructions that are coming in this book for the praise of God's glory. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Yeah, that's pretty much (laughs) probably all we need to say. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of your son and his sacrifice that we're about to celebrate. And Lord, we pray that everything we do, not just this celebration, but everything will be in remembrance of him and for the praise of your glory. Amen.